As we turn to the book of Amos, which is where we are at in our study now, Amos is a book that touches on people. They got plans. But their experience is going to prove to be way different than our experience. Because their desire is not quite the desire to honor God. And they will pay a serious price for that. The book of Amos, we're ultimately going to zero in. You're not going to see any scriptures until we get to chapter 5. And uh, I want to give you just a little bit structurally of what we're looking at in the book of Amos, if we, if we can, please. So just, just listen to this. The book opens up with a bunch of lamentations over different people groups. So in chapter 1, verse 3, thus says the Lord, for three transgression of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. You go down a few more verses to verse 6, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. You drop down to verse 9, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. And all these different people groups that we can identify geographically, uh, we know where they were. They're identified as a group that is going to undergo God's punishment. God's judgment is going to come upon them. So you can just imagine the readers thinking, yeah, yeah. He's going to give it to them. And they're really uh, kind of encouraged by how bad it's going to go for these people whom they would have considered at various times their enemies, if you will. But as we go deeper into chapter 2, as we have this cycle around a number of people groups, we come to this point, chapter 2, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four I will not turn away its punishment. And that same formulaic uh, expression to begin the description of what's going to happen now zeroes specifically on Israel. At this time, mid-7th century B.C., we have Israel as the um, northern kingdom. This is during a time when you had Israel in the north, you have Judah in the south. Israel is actually doing pretty good. Jonah has preached... Nineveh has repented. They're not putting a lot of pressure upon the Israelites right now. And humanly speaking, it feels like a real good time for them. And they're like, yeah, we like the way it is. And we like reading about all these other people who are going to receive the punishment until eventually the last one goes right on Israel. And the rest of the book now will deal with the punishment that's coming upon Israel, the real recipients of, or the ultimate recipients of Amos' lamentations. Chapter 3, hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, you only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. And Amos points out that these people are God's chosen people. They are the ones whom God selected and brought them out of captivity into Egypt. But because of what's going on there right now, he is at a place where he cannot bless them. Or they are at a place where they, he can, they cannot be blessed. Chapter 4, it's just kind of this funny thing. I've got to throw it out there for you, okay? won't be up on the screen. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan 
who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring wine, let us drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness, behold, the day shall come upon you when he will take you away with fish hooks and your posterity with fish hooks and you will go out through broken walls, each one straight ahead of her, and you'll be cast into Harmon, says the Lord. And he refers to the wealthy wives of the people in power as cows of Bashan. He says, you think you have it good right now. You're constantly calling upon your, uh, upon your husbands to provide niceties for you. Let the wine keep flowing. Let's let this lifestyle keep going. The problem is, in order to provide that, they have to oppress the poor. Because that's how they're staying in power, and that's where their wealth is coming from. And so it's a very uh, unjust situation. And these wives are glad to live off of the fatness of what comes their way. And so Amos calls the wives out specifically. And then he goes on to describe for a little bit more now, he goes on to describe repeatedly how God had been trying to get their attention. God has been working at this literally for some hundreds of years. He says in verse 6, I've given you cleanliness of teeth in all your cities, meaning you didn't have a lot. There's nothing you're chewing on. There was this time when I let things uh, go very lean for you, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Then drop down to verse 8. Two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water. They were not satisfied, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. And God had promised them when they came out of Egypt with Moses, he was going to do these things if they were walking in rebellion to him. And repeatedly now, about five, six times, he says to them, I've done this, what I told you I'd do through Moses, yet you have not returned to me. Therefore, verse 12, thus will I do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God. O Israel. You know how you see that on those road signs? Prepare to meet your God. Well, that's quoting right here, okay? Amos chapter 4, verse 12. For behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind, who declares to man what his thought is and makes the morning darkness, who treads the high places in the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his name. So he says, not only that God is going to bring judgment and you're going to be confronted by him, but let me give you a sense as to who he is. He is the Lord God of hosts, the one who forms the mountains. And that takes us up to chapter 5. Briefly, I want to jump past chapters 5 and 6, which is really where we're going to spend our time today, and just point out that as you come to chapter 7, Amos then points out a number of different visions he had indicating this This judgment is coming upon you, Israel. It's real. It's coming. There was a vision of locusts. There was a vision of fire. There was a vision of a plumb line to begin with in chapter 7. Each one of these describing to the people of Israel what exactly is going to come upon them. And then there's there's a priest in the town of Bethel and... Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words, for thus Amos has said. And so he's, there's this complaint. Hey, Amos isn't saying nice things here. Amos is saying that bad things are about to happen. Now, we know better, because look how good it is around us. Why do we worry about this stuff? So then Amaziah, this false priest 
says to Amos, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah, there eat bread, and there prophesy, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the royal residence. Get out of here. We don't want to hear what you are saying. We have no desire. And Amos offers this interesting defense of what he's doing. He said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet. But I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not spout against the house of the Lord. He goes on to prophesy some more. But you understand what he's saying? I'm not a guy who's raised in this whole school of the prophets thing. I've been out living an agricultural lifestyle. God came to me and said, I'm calling you to go speak to that northern kingdom, Israel, and here's what I want you to say. So don't blame it on me. I am just the messenger. God himself has called me, disrupted my life, in order to come and to bring you this message. Now, the reason that I I wanted to touch on that, just one last thing, then we're going to come back to chapter 5. He then says in this prophecy against them, when they've said, we don't want to hear you, He says this, which is very, very sad. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land. I mean, uh, if you're following chapter 8, verse 11. Not a famine of bread, not a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. See, they had just told Amos, the prophet of God, we don't want to hear what you have to say, so get out of here. And God says, as they seek to throw him out of the northern kingdom, he says, you don't want to hear the word of the prophet? The day will come when you will wander looking for a word from me, but there will be none. And that also will be part of his judgment upon them. So, that's how it was. Started out, all these different areas, focused on Israel. Then, pointing it out to Israel, eventually what we saw was, we don't like this, don't tell us these things. And God says, the day's going to come, you won't even have an opportunity to hear it anymore. Well, what are those things then, at the center that we skipped over in chapter 5? This is where I want to pick it up, and here, Paul, is where we can bring up the screen, if you would. Hear the word which I take up against you, a lamentation, O house of Israel. This is Amos speaking. The virgin of Israel has fallen. She will rise no more. She lies forsaken on her land. There is no one to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that goes out by a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which goes out by a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. And those who would try and defend themselves with an army of a thousand are going to find nine hundred of their army are killed. And those who are going to defend themselves with an army of 100 are going to find 90 are killed. They are going to be decimated when the judgment of another nation comes upon them. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, and this is our scripture memory verse right here, short, sweet, easy to understand. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live. Is that not a simple message? Seek me and live. 
But then it gives a contrast. But do not seek Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, nor pass over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it with no one to quench it in, quench it in Bethel. You who turn justice to wormwood and lay righteousness to rest in the earth. He made the Pleiades in Orion. He turns the shadow of death into morning and makes the day dark as night. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. He rains ruin upon the strong so that fury comes upon the fortress. And Amos says to the people of the northern kingdom, get a clue about whom you are trusting. See, because he cautions them, you're trusting in places like Bethel. What you're forgetting is that Bethel is going to become Beth-Avon, the place rather than the house of God, the place of emptiness. Why? Because when the northern kingdom was established, Bethel immediately became a religious center for calf worship. The same calf that they claimed as it came out of Egypt would save them. They turned immediately to idolatry and never, never fully turned away from the idolatry. And he says, Bethel isn't the hope for you. That isn't going to help you. Gilgal is a significant city because when Joshua, when he came across uh, the Jordan River, first place he stopped was Gilgal. Remember, they put up the stones and they uh, made a monument there to say how great their God was, that he allowed them to cross, uh, cross the Jordan River, and now they're going to go in, they're going to take the land. So Gilgal is a significant place. Well, the name Gilgal literally means rolling, the place of rolling. And there's a few words that are in this verse that are Gilgal, Galo, Yigla. And there's just a play on the, on the sounds, the intonations of those words. And what it ultimately means is this. Gilgal, the place of rolling, shall rolling be rolled away. It's going to come to nothing. And then Beersheba, another place in the southern area that at one time was very significant, had turned to idol worship. So what is, what is Amos saying? <laughs> Amos is saying, you think these places that you claim is part of your heritage or a stronghold, you think any of these places are going to protect you when God's judgment comes? This is what you are trusting in. You are trusting in places that have all turned to idolatry. And the God who puts the constellations in the sky is the one who has set his word against you. Do you really think these little cities that at one time were significant, but they've all turned towards idolatry, do you really think they're going to protect you? When the God who puts the constellations in the sky comes in judgment, get a clue about whom you are trusting. They cannot help you when the time comes. And friends, that just, that just reminds us as we're moving through this life and trying to understand what does it mean to live my life as a believer, that maybe on occasion we need to ask this question. Ultimately, what am I trusting in? Where's my confidence? What is it that I count on day to day that I know this is secure? This is what will sustain me. 
did you hear? I, I, I can't get, wrap my arms around this. Did you hear that that, that, that lottery is up to $1.6 billion? Which approximately, I haven't read details on it, but approximately, if you win and you just cash it out, you're going to get about a billion dollars cash laid at your feet. That to me is frightening. And I mean that, sir, that is absolutely frightening to me. Because I know what I'm like. And if you laid a billion dollars cash at my feet and said, hey, this is now yours, do with it what you will, you know how much trust I'm going to have in God from that point on? I'm afraid it's going to change. I'm afraid that where we're able to see how God blessed our daughter and her wonderful new husband as they sought to honor him, and we watched a blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And we can only give him the glory for that. His grace was poured out. Don't need that anymore. I had a billion dollars to do the next wedding. What do we really trust in, friends? Just a question we ought to consider for ourselves as Amos says to them, get a clue about whom you are trusting. Is what we are trusting ultimately going to hold up when all is said and done? Or is it going to come crashing down around us? Just a thought, friends. Just a thought. Secondly, Amos goes on. And we're going to pick it up now in chapter 5. We're going to pick it up in verse 10. They hate the one who rebukes in the gate, and they abhor the one who speaks uprightly. Therefore, because you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from him, though you have built houses of hewn stone, yet you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. Therefore, the prudent keep silent at that time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. So the Lord God of hosts will be with you as you have spoken. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Judah. And Amos gives him the second, the second lamentation, the second thought that says, get a clue about what you are doing. Look at how you are living. How do you expect God to bless what is happening in your midst right now? One, they will not listen to a voice declaring justice. You understand that where they did their court system, where they did all their documentation, where everything unfolded was at the gates, out in this public place. We see that repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. And he says, there's no justice at the gates. What's happening? The rich are making themselves richer at the plight of the poor. And the poor can't get a fair hearing in their court system. It is such an evil time, and everybody is so aware of how bad it has gone that the wise people have learned to just keep silent. Because if you stick your neck out on this one, it's not going to go well for you. Because they live at a time when might is making right. And it is an evil time. 
And he says in verse 14, Seek good and not evil that they may live, that God can be with them like they claim. You see, they are claiming. He says, As you have spoken. So the Lord God of hosts will be with you. As you have spoken. They're claiming God is with us. And Amos is saying, No, he's not. No, he's not. God's not in this because you have become so evil and so unjust and you are oppressing the poor and you are oppressing those with needs and you are raising taxes to an incredible amount so that these people can't survive while you and the cows of Bashan all do well. You have houses, you've made houses of hewn stone and you've set, planted new vineyards, but God's judgment is so close by you're not even going to live in them and you're not going to get the fruit of those vineyards because God's judgment is coming. God is not with you even though you claim it. Get a clue about what you are doing. Verse 15 indicates that if you were to repent from this, it at least allows the possibility of a blessing. If you were to turn from this, at least the possibility is there. God might might withhold the judgment that is real and coming upon you. About a month ago, I was talking with Kim... And uh, Kim Capping, and he'd mentioned he'd heard a message from Tim Tinglestead. And Tim Tinglestead used a phrase about being in a blessable condition. And Amos is effectively saying to the people here, you're not in a blessable condition. Always remember, friends, God cannot bless that which is contrary to his nature. Cannot do it. And they are living at a time with injustice and oppressing the poor that... That, that's contrary to how God said they were to treat the poor. Contrary to his nature. And they, they're saying, God's with us. God's blessing us. Look at all these good things that he's bringing to us. Look at how much more wealthy we're getting. Look at how much more our stockpiles are piling up while the poor are being further and further oppressed. And they're claiming God's blessing. And Amos is saying, uh-uh. <laughs> There's no blessing from the Lord here. This is pure evil, what you are doing. Repent from that. Maybe it's not too late. Maybe God will turn from the judgment already decreed upon you. And so, friends, as we come these many centuries later, does it not cause us to at least ask the question, not only what am I trusting in, but what am I doing? Are there places in my life that have just, you know, I, I, I celebrated walking closely with Jesus Christ before. I celebrated this idea that, you know, the world is a dark system and death resides there. And I was glad to be separate from it. But somehow through the years, I have slowly begun to embrace the things of the dark kingdom and find them as acceptable. It's okay. As a Christian that I'm doing this, it's all right. It's no big deal. It's fine. Everybody's doing it. It's, you know, it's just where things are headed. This is the modern day in which we live. And would it be that possible that God would say to us, um, hang on. Just like in the time of Amos when they were tracking along this degraded path towards uh, uh, idolatry getting further and further away from me, all the time thinking, hey, God's on our side. Is it possible we need to ask that question of ourselves, friends? That becomes very personal. That becomes very, very personal as to where God, by His Holy Spirit, would speak to us and say, "Uh, there's some things here in your life that you don't realize even. 
that you have allowed the world to seep in with its darkness and begin to impress upon you these things that which are not good. So just, just a thought. That, that thing that it's measured against, as we, if God is trying to impress it upon us, is of course his standards of holiness. Because his standards were being broken about how to, how to deal with the poor, right? In this particular case. But for us here, it may it, probably something different, but something we need to be willing to listen to. Third thing, and we're going to wrap it up right here, friends. Third thing, we're going to just pick it up, verse 16. Therefore, the Lord God of hosts, the Lord says this, There shall be wailing in all the streets, and they shall say in all the highways, Alas, alas, they shall call the farmer to mourning, and skillful lamenters to wailing. In all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through you, says the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? Now, he continues to go further, but this is as far as we, as we have time for. But you see, friends, these people are so self-satisfied, so self-deluded that God is on their side as they continue down this degraded life and uh, idolatry and immorality. They miss the reality of their impending destruction. They hear about the day of the Lord coming and they celebrate it. Yay! It's going to take out Tyre. It's going to take out Gaza. It's going to take out Edom. All of these people mentioned earlier in the book, they're really going to suffer under the day of the Lord. And Amos is saying to them, judgment's going to begin at the house of God, friend. You need to get your house in order. There's something that happens... Every year, when people, well, not every, it doesn't even have to be yearly. There's something I've noticed, and friends, I mean, this goes across the board. This goes across the board. Please understand. And I am left with the same question every time I hear it. It's people who say something because they're arguing against others who have a different viewpoint than them. And they will say, that's not the American way. That's not American values. That's not what America stands for. That's not the real America. And I don't care where it comes from. I find myself asking this question every time. What do you mean by that? That statement to me, every time it's made, is meaningless. Because it always strikes me is the standard you're measuring against is your own personal standard, your own personal view. Your own personal emotions. Your own personal standard. And so by saying, hey, this is the standard, because it's what I feel deep inside of me, you're able to then dismiss everything else. You see, these people, they were feeling inside of them. They were doing just fine. We're doing it the way it should be. We got God on our side. In fact, we got other gods working with us. You can't touch us because we got many gods to work with. And the standard that they have established about they do what they want seems satisfactory to them. But friends, the standard we measure against is the standard of God, which is God himself and his nature. Therefore, Amos is saying, get a clue about what's coming. You are aligned for judgment and it will be coming your way. So the questions it forces us to ask, and we are wrapping it up, 
how right am I? How do I know it's right? What's the standard that I'm justifying all of these things for in my life? Do I really know what's coming? Have I so justified my own behavior that it's all got to be good because it's what I'm feeling? It's what I think is right. It's what works for me. That's a frightening thought, friends. Because God may need to bring a bit of correction sometimes. To say, oh, guess what? That standard wasn't my standard. That was your standard. So now I need to correct you on that. Final thought, and we're wrapping it up. When Amos says to the people, thus says the Lord, seek me and live, there is in that exhortation a very real, personal individual call. See, Amos is outlining that what's going to happen to Israel as the northern kingdom, it's bent for destruction because it has refused to turn as God has been for hundreds of years trying to get their attention. And now this destruction is coming upon them in a matter of a couple of decades. They're going to be wiped out. And Amos's call to seek me and live is that individually you don't have to you don't have to fall under that judgment so that individuals can separate themselves from that and find that, hey, guess what? I've repented of all of that stuff, and I want to be in a place where, where when God's judgment comes, I can, I can safely escape. Friends, isn't that the heart of the gospel that we share? There's a dark kingdom that seeks to enslave people, and the kingdom is dark. Jesus said that the evil one comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And his desire is to oppress people, to keep them in his kingdom, to keep them away from the light. But the message of the gospel goes out to anyone who will receive it. Whoever will may come. Each of us has to decide for ourselves, right? Am I going to just go this wide way where many go that Jesus described and head right into destruction? Or am I going to find that singular narrow way that God has identified through the person of his son and the cross of Jesus Christ? That is the only way that scripture reveals to escape the darkness, friends. And this entire book is pointing to that. So as we ask these questions, right, as we ask these questions of ourselves, do we know whom we're trusting? Really, let's get serious about that. It's between any of us and the Lord, all right? Do we know whom we're trusting? Do we know really what we're doing? Have we, have we assessed our lives at any point recently to see whether or not we've really kind of slipped into some patterns that are just not where God would have us to be? And lastly, do we know what's coming? Are we in a place where God can really bless us? When God's Ultimate statement is made upon our lives. Do we know that we are going to be secure because our name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life through Jesus Christ? Or do we really not know? Scripture tells us Jesus Christ is the only hope of life. And I just want to invite, if you are here today and you have never responded to that, I just want to let you know that he calls out to each of us today, seek me and live There's life in him, and it entails coming to grips with these kinds of questions. What am I trusting in? 
What am I doing? What's the outcome of that going to be? Oh, if I don't have a hope in Jesus Christ, none of those questions can be answered well. But if Jesus Christ is my hope and I'm trusting in him, letting my life be transformed because of him, that's where the goodness and the joy comes. The outcome is also going to be good. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you speak to us from centuries past, that the words of Amos calling a generation to repent before you, the words of Amos speak to us, Lord, as to what it is we trust in ultimately, where's really our confidence, what are we really doing, have we allowed you to examine that as of late, Lord? And additionally, what is going to be the outcome if we just let things go the way they are now? Have we found the hope we need in Jesus Christ? Father, I pray none of us leaves here without being able to attest that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. I ask it in his precious name. Amen.